We are in the middle of the summer of wisdom. We're walking through Proverbs. My name's Dan Jarvis. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I would invite you to open up the Bible today to the book of Proverbs. We're going to actually read an extended section uh, in a couple minutes. So I'd love for you to actually have that in front of you. There's a copy of the Bible in the kind of underneath the seats in front of you, or you can open up your Bible app. If you use the church Bible, it's on page 378. So a little bit of review of where we're coming from in this series. Um, we started off in chapter one, and we found this verse, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. We understand that really what God wants to do in our lives through this book is to give us the tools by which we can live a successful life, both on earth and in eternity. And, and so as we open it, we kind of, we lean forward and we say, okay, I want to listen. What is it that God wants to say to me? And I'm willing for my heart to receive what I hear. I don't want to just learn academically. I actually want to put this into practice. And one of the fun things about Proverbs is it's a book you can explore. So you think of it a little bit like a treasure mine that you're, you know, you're digging and the more you dig, the more rocks you flip over, the more you can find in it. And that's why you could have read it once. Maybe this is your first time ever reading it, or maybe you've read it 15 times before today. But still, when you read it, God gives you wisdom in your heart as a result. So we're walking through all of that. There's a few different ways you can engage in the content with us. One is to get the daily texts. Um, hopefully you're getting those. If you're not, you can sign up for that. The church will send you a text every day just reminding you of a proverb and giving you some challenging thoughts there. You can read the daily proverb, which there's 31 proverbs, so you can read the proverb that matches the date of the month. Um, you can attend the weekly services. You're all doing well with that this week. And then, uh, and then discuss with God and others what you learn. That, to me, is where this comes alive. And it's a lot of fun to be able to explore in prayer with the Lord, what does he want us to learn from this? And then also to be able to interact with other people and say, hey, what does this mean to you? So a little bit later in our service, I'll give you an opportunity to do just that. But... Before we start reading, I wanted to set this up by reminding you of something we learned a few weeks ago, that there are four personas in Proverbs that we have met. Um, the simple, the simple people who just kind of float with the crowd, they do what's popular, they don't necessarily think before acting, they're very gullible. Uh, the mockers are the people who hear the truth and they kind of laugh. They're the people who don't really pay attention in church, they just kind of snicker. Uh, there's the fools, the people who ignore what God would say. They're, they would say, you know what, I already know what I need to know. I already have it together. Uh, and then there's the wise. They're the people who really listen. A wise person is not necessarily a smart person. doesn't mean you have a high IQ, and it doesn't necessarily even mean you have a lot of knowledge. If you are wise, you'll end up with a lot of knowledge, but really the, the evidence that you're wise is whether or not you're willing to listen. Listening is the key to wisdom. Um, now, we've also ran across this proverb, and this kind of sets up where we're going today. We were studying along in the first few chapters, and we run into this statement, wise choices will watch over you, and understanding will keep you safe. And you say, well, safe from what exactly? Now, all of us have a part in our brain that activates when it thinks it's under threat, right? That's you get adrenaline surge, you start getting all excited. And, you know, so whether it's you, you thought you saw a lion in the grass or whether you thought you saw a spider on your ceiling or uh, whether there's a car that swerves out of the lane and it's heading toward you, like something happens physically and it activates uh, a response. We're very in tune with that. 
And that would be our response to like an external threat or what we might call a trial in life. You know, things can happen. So you, you, you act according to your, you want to protect yourself from trials. What Proverbs teaches us is that the bigger danger that we face is actually temptations. So sure, we all face the danger of trials in our life that come from outside of us. But the thing that could actually ruin us isn't that. The thing that could ruin us is temptation. So today we're going to look at one tempting trap that so many people fall for. And it's so sad to watch it happen because it's literally nothing new. It's something that has been happening for thousands of years and humans don't seem to learn the lesson no matter how many times the, the, hard, the school of hard knocks repeats, right? So we're going to look at that today. This trap, I was trying to think of the strongest possible words to communicate this, so here's my attempt. This is a trap that will take over your imagination and then mercilessly destroy you. Okay, now, as we read the scripture, you'll say, well, you know, is that overstated? The Bible actually states it stronger than that, and we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, but this trap uh, literally is the one that could ruin you, ruin your soul, if you let it. So we're so grateful. You know, Proverbs gives us this wisdom that helps us stay out of the trap and instead walk a different direction. People who fall for this one usually have a certain way of thinking. First of all, they believe there isn't really any danger, at least not for them. Like they might hear stories from other people and go, yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But for them, they think that they'll be okay. Um, they also imagine that they'll get away with it. So, you know, to the person, everybody who ever falls for this trap, if you interview them and say, like, hey, tell me what was in your mind, they'll, they think they're going to get away with it. That's why it's a trap. If it was obviously going to kill you, you wouldn't do it. So, but they, they think, I could step a little closer to this cliff, but I won't fall over. I could, I could step into the trap, but I won't get caught by it. They think they can control the consequences. And they are really defensive if you confront them. Because first of all, they don't want to admit that they actually are tempted by this trap, and they certainly don't want to admit that they're in it. So, what is the trap? Do you know? If you turn to Proverbs 5, you might have already guessed it. It's the trap of sexual immorality. That trap, more than any other, can ensnare you and ruin you maybe before you're even old enough to realize what's happened. So today we want to prevent that from happening by getting some wisdom from God's word. So Proverbs 5, let's start reading. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She cares nothing about the path of life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all that you've achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. 
In the end, and here's where the Bible's language is as strong as it can be on this one, there's no joke. In the end, you will groan with anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are the ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Now in chapter 6, it mentions two other traps that we're going to come back to later in this series. The trap of indebtedness and then the trap of laziness. But then toward the end of 6, it kind of picks back up the trap of immorality. Okay, so we go down to chapter 6, verse 20. So here again, this, this call is going out. And by the way, when I read this, like, you know, obviously Proverbs, it's written with the heart of a father toward sons. But the dangers apply to everyone. Okay, so you women and girls in the room, the dangers are for you too. You can flip this all over and see the, the tempting guy who's trying to pull you off the path as well. Just when we're reading this, here you've got Solomon you know, offering wisdom to his sons as we go. My sons, obey your father's command and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck when you walk. Their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. I don't know about you, but I didn't feel that way when my mom and dad gave me corrective discipline. But now I look back and go, okay, I see the point there. The w there's a way to death and there's a way to life. The, the reason you would get corrective discipline is to steer you toward the way of life and off of the path that you may not yet understand is the way to death. So verse 24, it will keep you from the immoral woman, that is their counsel, their wisdom, and from the smooth tongue of the promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving. If he's caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. 
For the woman's jealous husband will be furious, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation, nor will he be satisfied with a payoff of any size. So follow my advice, my son. You can almost imagine this father just kind of pleading, right? Please learn this lesson so that you don't, because this isn't a lesson you get to bounce back easily from, like, hey, let's let them learn the hard way and then they'll figure it out. This is a, this is, it will destroy you. So if you can't learn the lesson from someone else, you die. You don't get to learn and then adapt. Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them to your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight like a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. So then he tells us a story. Kind of says, let me set up the scenario for you. And here's, here's what's interesting about this story. Say, for all the years of human history, this story keeps repeating with different details, but essentially the same story. The same error, the same trap, the same gullible person who falls for it. And, and just like, you know, a few thousand years ago when Proverbs were written, everybody would have read this story and went, yeah, I've seen that happen. Or maybe they said, yeah, that's happened to me. Today, it's the same thing. So when we read this story, we're, find, we're seeing something. It's almost like a, it's a little flaw in our human understanding. And in our, we, we don't, that, that part of your brain that's supposed to warn you of a threat, for whatever reason, doesn't turn on when this happens. So we need wisdom to guide us. Here's the story, verse 6. While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men. Raise your hand if you're a naive guy. No, just kidding. Um, but however, reality, um, guys, we probably all are naive, whether we think we're young or not, especially if we think we're stronger against temptation than we actually are, which I have a feeling I think that and you think that. So maybe we're all like this guy, the naive young men. And there was one in particular who lacked common sense, verse 7 says. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. I mean, not a very smart place for this guy to be. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was brash, rebellious, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband's not at home. He's away on a long trip. He's taken a wallet full of money with him, and he won't return for another month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech. She enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. Get this, like an ox going to the slaughter. He was a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. 
So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have become her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Takes a little luster out of the temptation when you think that this is the den of death. So in that story, and really in all the instructions that we read prior to it, there are some characters involved. I thought we would talk about three of them, and I wanted to ask your opinion about what you think might be motivating some of these characters. Okay, so let's just zero in on three, kind of the three main people that it talks about. The first person is the promiscuous woman, the one dealing out the temptation. Now, like I said, as we're reading this, this goes both ways, right? So the example is a promiscuous woman. Is there such a thing as a promiscuous man? Absolutely, and sadly, right? This is anybody could be this character. Say, well, what does promiscuous mean? Well, that's the kind of person who has many relationships. They're very unselective, they're very casual. So you're taking the most important kind of human relationship, the bond of love consummated in marriage, and treating it like it really doesn't matter, treating it casually, treating it like I could just have sex with anyone and it doesn't make any difference. I could look at anyone and it doesn't make any difference. The person who's out there kind of looking for more partners. So this woman, if you think about it, I don't think that most people like as little kids like dream of becoming that kind of a person, right? I mean, it's not where you want to end up, but somehow this woman was there. Like in her world, something was motivating her to go out and seek the attention of guys in the most unhealthy way possible. So let's talk about that. What do you think she was really searching for? What do you think her actual need is? So I want to give you a chance to talk about it. And here's what I want you to do. Think, think of yourself a little bit like a detective. Okay, We've just read all this evidence, all this storyline about why these temptations were happening and who was offering them. What would motivate this person to offer these temptations, to become a temptation dealer? Why would they do that? And then what do you think the real search in her heart might have been for? All right, so I'm going to give you two minutes to look at your neighbor and ask them these questions. Hey, what do you think might be motivating this woman? All right, it's two minutes. Go for it. So as we're thinking about this, I was, uh, I was thinking, well, in what other ways would you see this expressed? Like, who might this be today? Who kind of represents this promiscuous woman today? So here's a couple ideas. One is it could be the flirtatious married person. So you think like this person is supposed to be faithful and interested in their spouse, but it seems like they're interested in me or in other people. Like that's not, something's wrong there with the attitude. It could be the porn actor or prostitute, like really overtly just offering, just kind of like the woman in the story, like, hey, I, here I am. It could be the guy who pressures some girl for more. It might be the low self-worth or low self-esteem type of a girl that is flaunting. You know, I mean, there's lots of reasons why people might flaunt, but that's one of them, right? Sometimes you run into people who, like, they're not secure with 
who they are. They don't know if they're loved or not, so they think, like, I'll make myself look as attractive as possible so that I'll get attention, so that people will love me. It's really heartbreaking to see that, right? They're, find, they're looking for something that they'll never find that way. They'll, they'll find what the Proverbs warn us about. They won't find the love that they're hunting for. Um, or how about the let's keep this a secret person? Anytime somebody says let's keep a secret, radar should go up. Something's wrong. How about the you deserve this tempter? Kind of, the woman was kind of doing that, right? Like, hey, I've spread out my bed. Like, I was looking for you. You think, she didn't even know the guy's name in the story. Was she actually looking for him? Like, was this personal at all? Well, no. But at the end of the day, he was duped by that promise. And he thought, why not? Maybe he thought he deserved it. Maybe he thought she really cared about him. So there's another person. Kind of obviously, there's the naive young man. That he hasn't listened to all the warnings that he's received. So we kind of imagine maybe he's like just any of us, and he, maybe he even heard from his parents, hey, stay clear of that area of town. Like, don't walk by that person's house. Don't go near that, don't go near that kind of temptation. Stay away. But he thought, oh, I can handle it. It's not going to really affect me. My friends are all there. I might as well go there too. Mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. Naive, that word, means lacking wisdom, like a sheep, or like, like the actual text here says, like the ox going to the slaughter. Think, here's this poor ox, right, that somebody ropes it up and is leading it along, and it just has no idea that it's being taken into a barn to be killed. Just thinks it's another walk in the park. Simple-minded. This guy really believes that he's, like, somehow he's lucky. Like, hey, wow, this woman found me. What a lucky guy I am. Her bedroom is the den of death. Not lucky at all. So let's talk about this guy for a moment. Again, we're kind of investigating. We understand, you know, motivations of anybody. Nobody takes action without some motivation that animates it. So, like, why would this guy fall for it? From the outside, it looks really obvious what's happening. But to that guy, he actually has no idea what's about to happen to his life. So... A good question would be like, why was he in this tempting situation to begin with, right? You could ask like, why was he in that part of the town? Why was he even like nearby? Why was he out at twilight with those people in that situation? What should he have done instead? She could say, well, what should he have done right then? You might even ask, what should he have been doing instead of being in that situation? Like maybe what should he have done earlier in his life so that he never would have been here to begin with? What do you think his real need is? All right, so put your investigator hat back on. What's motivating this guy, and what do you think he should do from here? I'll give you two minutes to answer that one, the person next to you. So it's interesting if you look at verse 22, when this woman kind of gave her invitation, it says he followed her at once. There was no thinking involved here. It was just... We went for it. Like, the woman had all this preparation to do wrong. The guy just, like, fell for the trap, and immediately he was caught. I think that's an interesting thing to observe. So here again, we say, well, who are these characters today? Like, what what might this look like in our lives? Here's a few possibilities. It could be that this isn't hurting anyone guy. Like, hey, nobody even knows. It's not hurting anybody. What difference does it make? 
It might be the clickbait clicker, the sex scroller online. But here's what's really, really disturbing. You know, we all know like the internet has certain parts of it that it kind of feels like you wade into a cesspool and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> get me out of this. But here's what's really scary to me about clickbait is that like it's all driven by algorithms for profit, which means someone is clicking on this stuff or else it wouldn't be there. People aren't going to pay to present something to you if you don't click it. And then if you do click it, it's going to show you even more of that. So when you think about how nasty and polluted and lewd everything is online, why is it that way? It's because people are clicking it, which is a scary thought. The internet might be like the street corner in this story. How about the girl who believes, like, he really loves me, so I should do this for him? Maybe the, this is an example of the one who indulges lewd fantasy and media, and they say, it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to hurt me. I'm strong enough. It's not going to change me. How about the insecure person who needs validation? The person who, like, if they don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, they think, my goodness, like, something's wrong with me. When I was in fifth grade, um, you have to know this about me, like, I did not have a bunch of girls following me in fifth grade. Um, just didn't have that problem. And I'm actually grateful now. I was not as cool, I was taller than everybody, but I wasn't cooler than anybody, right? So, um, so what happened was one day on the playground, um, some emissaries from like a different group of girls floated over to my side of the playground and said, Dan, I think her name was Becky. Becky wants to go out with you. Now in that moment, I thought like, wow. Now I didn't like her at all. And I said, no way, like, which I'm really grateful. That was my first response. Um, but I was the, later on, like in reflecting at it, as I was, she was really like at the bottom of the barrel of options. If, if she was sending her friends to find me, She'd tried everybody else, like, but here's a poor girl that for whatever reason, she would ask to like go out with people that she didn't even know them. Like it, there was no, it was just like the woman in the story, just the fifth grade version of that, right? Where no purpose to it, no love involved. It was just purely some sort of identity crisis for her, wanting the validation of like, I've got a boyfriend, so now I'm secure. So it's really sad, again, when you, run into people and you realize like they're, they're playing with fire and they don't actually even know what the consequence will eventually be rather than just trusting in God instead of all of that. How about the person who actually believes immoral secrets are safe? So you think about the guy that being led to the slaughterhouse or the, the bird just flying right into the snare and in their mind they actually have no idea, even though they could probably tell other people, hey, that, that would be a really dumb thing to do, but then they would go and do it they really think the immoral secrets are safe. If there's anything that's super crystal clear as we read all of this, and then you could read the rest of the Bible and find it as well, is that immoral secrets are never permanent secrets. People will find out, God will know, your loved ones will know, everybody will eventually know. So the, the idea that it's secret is a lie, it is part of what gives the temptation its power. And it takes a very gullible person to think that a secret about your very self, your very identity, is something that would be held and would never have a consequence for you. In the end, the truth will come out. So don't be that gullible, naive, young guy in the story. 
There's a third person in the story. Actually, there's a few more, but we're going to look at a third character. And that's the person who looks through the window and sees all of this, like the wise instructor, right? So if you, if you look in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, you know, he sees down to the street corner and he sees these guys and he sees what's happening and he sees the proposition. And then he decides to write the story about it as a warning to others. So you kind of get into the mind of that person and say, well, what, what was he doing? Why was he, why, why, was he care, why did he care about those young, naive guys? If we were in that story, we, if we were looking through the curtain and kind of peek back and say, let's look at American culture, maybe we would be asking questions like, well, where is this trap being set and who is falling for it today? There's a part of me that would think, well, um, everywhere and everyone. Um, but specifically, like, are you falling for this trap? If someone was peering through the curtain and seeing your life, your searches online, your relationships, your text threads, your glances, would they think, like, here's another naive young guy, like, off, heading off to the slaughterhouse? Or would they see someone actually living a life of wisdom? So for this person, this, this watcher who then offers wisdom, what do you think's motivating him to write this? What does he want the reader to understand? I'll just give you one minute to answer that one with your friend. Go for it. Now, of all the characters we're talking about, this is the one that I actually hope you are today, uh, that you would be the person that can actually see what's going on in the world and, and grow wiser from seeing it, not make the same mistake, maybe even encourage other people to do the right thing. Say, well, who is this in our world right now? Who is this person maybe for you? Now, some of you kids see this coming, but... The most obvious one is they are that annoying rulemaking parent who's saying, don't do this, do do this, here's your restriction, here's why you can't go here, don't hang out with those people, no, don't, don't have that kind of, don't, don't listen to that. You know, the, why would they be saying all that stuff to you? That's actually the same reason that the writer of Proverbs is pleading with his sons, like, please listen, because what a parent would know is some of the dangers of how these traps are sprung that you don't know yet. You think you know, but you don't. So you listen to the voice of wisdom. So the next time you like look at mom and dad and you're like, man, they're so annoying. Like I remember this, I had the same thing with my mom and dad. Um, or you just say like, why are they making me do this? My friends don't have to do this. You step back and go, maybe they're being motivated by the same thing that this writer was, maybe they know something about life from having lived 20 or 30 years longer than I know. So if, you're, if you really want to play it well, like students, when your parents give you rules, say, hey, thanks for that rule. Like, tell me why that's happening, but I'm grateful you're watching out for me. What I usually say to my kids is, I wouldn't give you any rules if I didn't care about you. So that hopefully is true for all of us, right? The other person this could be is, what if it's the good friend who pulls you aside to have a serious discussion? 
So they actually call you and say, hey, I just think we should talk about this. Like, your life, I, I, I care about your life. I, I want the best for you. And they proceed to give you some feedback, maybe some criticism. And you have the option in that moment, do I get defensive and angry at them or do I say, wow, thank you for caring about me? What about the praying mother who wants you to come home to wisdom? It could be literally come actually home. Um, it might just be come home to common sense, come home to the wiser way of life that you know, like you know what's right, come back to it. It could be the mentor who's investing into you. And you could think, like, why is this person investing in me? Like, they actually want me to succeed. I should listen to them. Could be the lawmakers. This is actually one moment. It's really, really rare. You can mark it down. We get to say something positive about politicians right here in church. You ready for it? Some of the laws that are made in society are actually part of the body of wisdom that so, like, why are there laws about the age you can drink or the age that you can, like, access certain kinds of websites or the age that... What are, what's all that about? It's actually because the people who've gone before us and who make rules over us know that there are certain things that are too dangerous for people who are naive to engage with. And so you have to reach a certain age before you can make that kind of a decision for yourself. Of course, the officers of the law would be the same category where sometimes the laws they're enforcing are actually, well, probably all the time, the laws they're enforcing are for your good. It'd be easier for them to stay home and not worry about you at all. And then, of course, there's the pastor who's talking right now. would also be in that category saying, please listen to the Bible. Please listen to this wisdom. You do, this is not a lesson you want to have to learn the hard way you probably won't recover from it if you do learn it the hard way. It will permanently set your life in a different direction. Is there mercy and grace and second chances? Of course. There, is there a bright future that's possible? Sure. But your life, if you're willing to walk in wisdom, if you want it to go God's way, start here. So I, I want to wrap up with a little bit of encouragement about the other choice you could make. So in this narrative here, we see multiple times, you know, the father pleading with the son, please don't do it. And then you see the sad story of the guy who ignores the wisdom and goes ahead and does it. There's a different path for life, a different direction you can take your desires, your sex life, the way that God designed it. It's actually right there in the scripture we already read. It's back in chapter five. Okay, so you can look back there, chapter five, verse 15. Drink water from your own well, share love, share your love only with your wife. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. So you look at your spouse, if you're married, and you say, I, I have eyes only for you. Now, as a human being, can your eyes look at other people? Sure. Are there temptations around you? Probably yes. But will you choose to be captivated by her love and not by any other? That's actually the promise you make when you get married. The living of it out is a long-term process of, in your mind, resolving, I'm not going to fall for the trap. In fact, you could look at it this way. Choose to be captivated by intentional love rather than trapped by careless Lust. Careless lust is a shortcut to love that actually doesn't get you there. 
You could, you could spend your whole life looking at porn, going out with prostitutes, trying to find the next high, the next person out there, and it'll, it'll all end in sadness and misery. It'll never work. Thousands of years of human experience, millions of times this story being repeated, it always is the same result. You don't have to fall for it. You can be wise instead of simple. Don't let yourself fall for this trap. So when you love God first and remain faithful to his plan for marriage and sex, here's what you'll have. You'll have a whole life commitment with another person. Instead of being approached on a street corner by someone who doesn't even know your name, doesn't care about you at all, when you find someone that God wants you to spend your lifetime with and make a real marriage commitment to that person, you are truly loved. See, all the cheap sex and all of that's really about people loving themselves, not you. But if you want real intimacy, then you say, Lord, I'm going to give my whole heart to my spouse if I'm married. If I'm not married yet, I'm going to give my whole heart to you until such a time as I can share that with a spouse as well. Your whole life commitment is to God, and, and then if God gives you a marriage partner than to that person, no one else. The other thing you'll get is real connection. You'll, you'll be truly known. Like the, the relationship that you'll have is not just about a cheap thrill and a passing moment, a quick image on the screen. It's actually someone who knows you and you have communion and love with that person at a level that nothing else can offer. And then joyful contentment. You'll be truly satisfied. See, that's a choice. That's not something that happens to you. That's ha something that happens in you. When you say, you know, sure, there's all sorts of people out there, but if God gives you one and you marry that person, you say, that's where I'll be satisfied. I'll choose to be captivated by that person's love. So there's a, there's a bright future, an amazing future available for people who are willing to walk God's way. There's a very dark future and a dangerous path laid out before all of us if we want to walk in our own wisdom instead of God's. That's why I'm so grateful for these three chapters of the Bible, just to lay it out so obvious and so simple. Don't go this way. Instead, listen to the voice of wisdom and go um, God's way. So let's pray and ask for his help as we do that together. Lord, you've given us all the opportunity here in this moment, regardless of our past or what we might have already done or thought, uh, you're giving us an opportunity now to go forward based on your wisdom instead of based on our impulses and temptations. Our wise choices in this moment can protect us from all sorts of future harm and maybe could set our lives on a course that would go in a very joyful an amazing direction. Lord, you designed us with intimacy in mind, with love in mind. You want us to find our deepest connection with you, and then you've given us marriage as a way to find a deep connection with another person. Lord, I pray that we would not throw all that away or, cheat, or um, treat that lightly or cheapen it. Instead, Lord, would you help us to honor 
what marriage means, what sex is all about, the joy that all of that brings, and keep us um, safe from the temptations that do abound in the world that we live in. Help us to heed the wisdom of Proverbs, to stay away from those who are promiscuous, to be captivated by true love instead of by, or instead of trapped by careless lust. So we commit this to you. I pray for my friends in the room. All of us, Lord, have our own journey and battle to fight in this regard. And uh, maybe there are a few who would say, in my past, there are already a bunch of unwise choices that have added up to a lot of grief and a lot of anguish. For you, just in the presence of the Lord here, I want to say to you that you don't have to live that way anymore. There is salvation available. There's, there's a new start. There's forgiveness. There's hope. For those of you in the room who are younger, my prayer for you before the Lord is that you would hear the voice of wisdom in your own heart, not just from me or from your parents or instructors or Sunday school teachers, but that you would um, hear God's voice in your heart, compelling you to walk with him and to trust his plan to not go the way that so many have gone, to not fall for the simple-minded traps that are set before you. Help all of us, Lord, as we want to walk forward in purpose in our lives. Thank you so much for your love and concern for each one of us. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name.